It's great to be here again. Uh, you know, I've seen students here since about 1988, when the college was uh, really changing from LABC to the Master's College, and we changed from Mission Ready to the Master's Mission. So, so you can see how close a relationship we have with the college at the mission. Our financial controller is Jeff Cole, Jeff and Gina Cole, who graduated just a few years ago. And uh, Bob Peaster was a graduate of the seminary. He ran the finances here at the Master's College. So if you've got a job here at the college, you know, you're liable to uh, be meeting with us and we'll say, hey, wouldn't you really like to come to the Master's Mission? The uh, thing that I'd like to emphasize is what we are are the nuts and bolts of missions. And you know, you go to a service and you get excited about the idea of a call to mission work. And then you start thinking, you know, I could never do it. And that's the purpose of the mission, is to make sure that when you are called, you're able to do practically what God has called you to do. One of the strongest uh, relationships we have here with the college is our commitment to the Word of God. Now, we do get some students from different places and from other countries who are a bit weak biblically. They have learned philosophies and traditions, and they use kind of a devotional approach to the Bible. But to have that bedrock foundation of understanding Scripture, knowing how to interpret it, how to practically apply it in their lives, it's not there. And that's one of the things we deal with, and uh, it's one of the things that um, you will have to face when you go into other circumstances in other countries. I grew up in uh, Kenya. My parents were missionaries in, in, uh, first in Ukambani on the coast. Then my dad was sent to start a Bible school and pastor's training school at the main station at Kijabi, which some of you folks had visited. And so I grew up next to the missionary kids' school and uh, played with the pastor's kids. And uh, then we had uh, terrorist uh, activities. And I grew up in high school. We had a lot of security problems around us. I saw how the Lord protected his people. I also saw that... Uh, when the Lord called people to martyrdom for himself, their lives were not wasted. But the Lord brought many people to salvation through the sacrifices of those who were faithful to the Lord. I came to uh, the United States and was a little shocked. It was a different culture for me. I went to Wheaton College, and it was uh, in the Chicago area. And I'd grown up where it was cool but never cold. And winter came down on me. And so uh, I found the warmest spot I could find in, on the campus, and it was in the wrestling room. So I wrestled for Wheaton College, and there met a lot of friends that have been partners with us in the ministry on the field. And uh, sports was a tremendous thing for me to get used to uh, kind of relating to Americans, which was something new for me. And uh, that partnership has carried on through the years, even till now. I met my wife, who was going to Moody Bible Institute. Uh, I had uh, gone with a girl that was an American girl, and she educated me into concerts and things like that, so that was very important for me. But then I met a girl at Moody Bible Institute who grew up in Africa like I did. Uh, she grew up in the backside of uh, the remote part of Zaire, northern Zaire, right on the border of Central African Republic. Uh, she grew up hunting. They had a leopard camp where she uh, grew up, and her dad had to kill uh, about an elephant every two weeks, or maybe four or five Cape buffalo. And so she grew up differently than most of the girls that I saw here in the United States grew up. And we really hit it off. And you know how boys or the men sometimes like to get a rifle or sometimes need a four-wheel drive truck? Well, I had a partner in that that was just as interested than I was. 
And the Lord had called both of us back to ministry in Africa. And we thought we were going to be going into Zaire. We went to uh, Belgium for a year studying French, worked with the Baptist church there with the youth, and did learn French. The way I learned French so very well was because my car was stolen and it was wrecked and I had to deal with the police and the government officials and so on, so I learned French. And I didn't think it was such a good thing, but you know, the Lord causes everything to work out for our good. And that's what happened there. We were in Zaire for a week and then uh, went up to see my wife's folks who were up in northern, northern Zaire. I actually spent a month in Zaire, only taught for a week. I was in a teacher training school situation and then we were forced out by the Simba Rebellion. That, that was in Zaire when all of Zaire was in convulsion. So we moved back to Kenya and I was much more comfortable there. And our assignment first, our first assignment was to settle church fights. And again, you know, it's not an exciting thing for a young missionary. You've got a lot of energy, a lot of ideas, and you've got churches fighting. And the, the uh, church leadership said, you need to go there because when you grew up, your dad was teaching these pastors and they know you and they respect you. And so you need to go there and see what's going on. And basically there was a problem with language and communications with the missionaries that were there. And the Lord used that in my life again to understand church problems, church work. And so when the, when the mission sent us on up into open up new work among the nomadic tribes, I had the preparation that I needed. One thing was the security problem. Uh, Kenya was at war with Somalia at that time. And because of the war going on, there was a lot of intertribal uh, fighting and, and warfare going on. And so the government told us we had to have six rifles. And we had three missionary boys grew up together, and the church sent us up there to start the mission work. We had uh, my wife, who grew up in Zaire, and we had two American girls. And so the girls said, well, we'll load the gun for you, Betty Lou, if you can uh, uh, keep your part of the bargain. We'll have six guns, but only four will operate. But it was a time of really having to be awake at night, terrorists circling around, going after the tribal people who we'd... Uh, started to work among, and uh, we had to deal with government officials all the time, trying to call them uh, into protecting the people. And eventually, so seeing the president of the country, we got guns for our local people, and they were able to protect themselves. But this is all kind of a rough circumstance for new missionaries to get into. So that isn't the normal route for new missionaries. And uh, now, since the, since the 67, when we started the work there, we now have pastors, we have government officials, we have uh, members of parliament who grew up under the teaching of the, of the ministry of the missionaries and the church leadership and are now involved in the, in the leadership of our district in northern Kenya where the nomadic peoples live. So we can thank the Lord that even though it was a struggle at first, uh, we're starting to see the fruit of it, uh, the results of, of the word of God in people's hearts. One of the most important things to realize as a missionary is the word of God is accurate. And how do you interpret it? It interprets itself. The other thing is, can you live it yourself? Can you live it in the context of your family, your wife and your children? Can you demonstrate by your own lifestyle in your home what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a Christian family? I visited back uh, Gatab's mission station in northern Kenya in 87 after we'd started the master's mission. And the young people said, we watched your kids. If your kids fouled up, we were going to foul up. Your kids didn't follow up, so we didn't follow up. You understand the relationship that needs to be. And I think you'll find the same thing in, the, in every community you live in here, in this country or anywhere. If a person claims to be a Christian, it needs to be demonstrated in his relationship to his wife, to her husband, the children, uh, being brought in loving discipline, 
And so there is a testimony for the Lord in every aspect of our lives. You know, one of the most important things we do at the Master's Mission is kind of stress the family a little bit. Um, you have a, a chance to see how the family will work in a new setting. You know, the guys don't have their buddies that they're going to go pay, play racquetball with. The girls don't have the girls they can go shopping with. You're stuck with your husband or your wife. And you're one of those cabins, and, you know, it gets kind of dark in the wintertime without electricity, and you're working on those little kerosene lamps or the propane lights. And you've got to find out if you really love your wife, if she, if she really becomes your good friend, how do you deal with the children? They're right there. And uh, this is a good place to see how do we do as far as a relationship to one another. Now, I think uh, when we go to the biblical issues, we realize that they're simple issues. You go to salvation, and Matthew 18 says, unless you become like a child, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, talks about Paul saying, I'm afraid you are led astray from simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. And those are where the foundational issues are when it comes to testifying. First Peter 3.15, sanctify Christ as Lord in your life. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you with gentleness and meekness. You see, that presupposes you are living a Christian life. We got a letter from one of our missionaries uh, uh, starting a new mission station, and he was teaching some young evangelists, and he was talking about ethics. And he just asked the question, what would you be willing to die for? There was silence. He said, would you be willing to die for Christ? There wasn't much response. He said, what about your family? Then he said, well, I'm going to give some examples of who I would die for. I would die for Christ. I would die for my children. I would die for my wife. And they said, oh, no. No, no. There was a response right then. I wouldn't want to die for my wife. I can always get another wife. And you see, right there, you have to deal with, is that the way we live here in the United States, in the churches in the United States? I think people who nominally call themselves Christians, that's sort of their attitude. You see it in the breakup of the homes, breakup of the families. And it's uh, when we see that problems occur in, in, in our homes here, put yourself in a stressful situation in another country, another circumstance, uh, a different political system, and how are you and your wife going to relate together? How is it going to work? How are your kids going to be? You see, these are the practical things that we need to realize. We need to practice righteousness in the context of our homes. We had a pastor from Kazakhstan in training with us at the mission. It was a bit difficult at first. His English wasn't real good. But he stayed an extra six months. And he told me as he was leaving, I never realized before what a wonderful wife I had. And why was that? Because instead of following tradition, which the, the man says, you are my wife, you will submit to me. He followed the word of God and said, you are my wife, I will love you unconditionally. And you see that relationship that we have exampled in Christ towards the church, which is spoken of in Ephesians 5, that should be mirrored in our families. And of course, we're not going to do it perfectly, but we need to strive for that. And that's really where the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ is. It's not in these wonderful things we're going to do for the Lord. It's how do we live 
daily, every day in our circumstances. You know, another thing we tend to think of, well, we can't do big things for the Lord, but we need to do the little things for the Lord. The little, the little things is what the Lord expects of us. We don't do great things for the Lord anyway. He can use us if he chooses, but we have to understand it's God's program. Uh, he is sovereign. We're responsible to obedience. We, we as Christians should have great joy in our, in our hearts, in our families. We need to enjoy the creation God has made for us. We don't need to be grumpy about the circumstances we're in because we have a sovereign God and we should demonstrate his work in our own lives, in our attitudes. There are a lot of issues that are happening in the church uh, in, in the United States, like uh, the spiritual warfare phenomenon, uh, the charismatic movement, and the charismaniac movement, and all these other movements are happening in the United States. And I'd just like to say that they are happening simultaneously all over the world. You know, these, uh, this internet, uh, computer systems, communication systems, uh, the intercommunication of people everywhere are bringing these same phenomenon around the world at the same time. And uh, I think what we see is we have to understand that we are dealing with truth when we're dealing with the Word of God. When I grew up, uh, pretty well creation was just accepted in, in the church. Um, as I was going through high school, I started to read about evolution and talked about, you know, the earth is so many billions of years old, and then you have a day-age theory that they tried to make the Bible compatible with what was coming out in science. Then you had gap theory, again, trying to make uh, life compatible uh, with uh, science, uh, the way the Bible presented the origins of the earth and the origins of people. And so when I went to college, I studied science, genetics, evolution, and so on. I had a good biblical background, and I wanted to know, what's this going on? Either the Bible is not accurate, or my interpretation of Scripture is different from what I should have, because I don't see things that way. Well, I'd like to say that uh, in your generation, you have such good scholarship in the creation area that those problems don't have to be a problem for a young Christian in our generation. But we do have a new religion in our schools, and I was looking at Dave Maddox was presenting us with Clergy in the Classroom book, which gives a humanist uh, viewpoint of the new religion of the United States. And we need to realize the foundations of that are not only here in the United States, but all over the world. In fact, where my kids grew up, we had a lot to do with uh, Dr. Richard Leakey. And you know, he's one that finds all sorts of funny bones here and there. And then he makes good stories out about these bones. And uh, so my kids have had a first-hand look at how these paleontologists operate and also to understand the facts of science do fit the Bible. When we're dealing with uh, <clears throat> these doctrinal issues and creation issues in, in the Word of God, I'd like us to take a look at what the book of Revelation in chapter 3 says. I'd like us to realize we have to make some uh, decisions in our own lives. How are we going to live? What is our commitment? What are our foundations? What are our philosophies? And here in Revelation chapter 3, it's verses 7 through 13, the, uh, the Lord is talking, John is writing about what the Lord is saying to the church of Philadelphia. And of course, this is the church that we all think we are part of, the Philadelphian church, and we hope so. But I want us to just look specifically at verse 8. I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut. 
because you have a little power, have kept my word and have not denied my name. And then in verse 12, it says, He who overcomes, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He will not go out from it anymore, and I'll write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. When we look at this, uh, these verses right here, we look at the uh, three little statements he says, you have a little power. And you know, in Robbinsville, I'm pastor of Little Snowbird Baptist Church. It's a church of about 40 people. It's on the uh, Cherokee Reservation. And uh, we've been there for about, I guess, about 10 years. We had a charismatic split in the church, uh, and that's not unusual. And uh, the issue really started out dealing with what is the foundation, your visions and your emotion, or is it the Word of God? And that's what split the church. But this little church uh, doesn't have a lot of power, but it is standing for the Word of God. And in the last few years, with just the teaching of the Word of God, we have had some young people grow up and marry without getting into all sorts of sexual sins, which is normal for our community, without becoming drunkards, which is also fairly normal for our community. We also have a little church in town that David Blackney, our candidate secretary, pastors, and it was a split off from First Baptist Church. The Masons kicked him out of the church, along with the people who were following the Word of God. I don't know if you know about the Masonic Lodge, but it's very strong in the Southern Baptist churches, and it again is kind of an existential uh, Baal worship type of syncretism between Christianity and who knows what else, New Age. And again, that's a small little church. It doesn't have a lot of power, and yet it is one that has kept the Word of God. And I think that this is something we have to look at in our own lives. What is success? What is success? Is it having a big job? Is it having a lot of money? Is it having a big church? Is it having, you know, something going real well? Or is it struggling along? Uh, simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Uh, having just a little power, not big shots, but just doing faithfully what the Lord has for us to do. I'd like us to look in the context of, of keeping God's word in that little uh, section there. Look at Isaiah 66. And the reason I'm talking about this is to show that if we have the right foundations, we do have an inheritance. And we are living our lives with real purpose in them. And we do have eternal life in Christ. It's not just a dream world. And it's in total opposition to what the New Age and what the humanists say. You live here, you're done. Live it as high as you can because you're done when you're done here. The Word of God says, no, I created you for a purpose. You have an inheritance. But let's look at this, Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? Where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. And the idea of trembling at the word is that's the issue. The word of God is my standard. I stand with it. I can go nowhere else. Uh, and then we see in the, the third part of verse 8, it talks about, I have not you, you have not denied my name. And, of course, Psalm 138 talks about the Lord uh, elevating his word according to his name. And then we have the uh, result being a very emotional response to that fact. Uh, 
verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 138. I'll give thee thanks with all my heart. I will sing praises to thee before the gods. I'll bow down toward thy holy temple and give thanks to thy name for thy loving kindness and thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word according to all thy name. You know, we get people calling us Bible thumpers. Well, I hope we're not Bible thumpers, but I hope we're Bible livers. We live the Bible out in our daily lives. And uh, when we come to uh, the issue of emotion, uh, the churches in, in, in our community are mostly Baptist churches. And uh, they are very loud churches. Um, they've been described uh, as, I don't know if you've heard of this term, Tennessee air sucker. Uh, anyway, that is sort of a, a term of showing just the, the, the preaching that goes on. It's very emotional preaching. And there's the heart and soul is being poured out with a lot of emotion by the preacher. And it really is not too important what's said, but it's important that there's a tremendous amount of emotion conveyed. And uh, that is really our community. And that's the churches in our community. And I think uh, one of the examples of that sort of situation out of control is it's like power out of control. Emotion is like power out of control. Uh, we had a bunch of Laterno kids at, uh, at the Master's Mission this past week. And they're a bunch of gear jammers. You know what that is? Mechanics. And one thing they like to do is to get their trucks really fitted out, high-powered, get about 400 horsepower out of a short, small block Chevy engine. And then they put on old tires, and they just sit there and burn the rubber on the, on the street with all this power. And uh, then, of course, if they kind of loosen the brake a little bit, they go flying off in any old direction out of control. Now, I think that in our own lives as Christians, emotion is a very strong part of our lives. But you have to have a steering wheel. You have to have direction. And this is where our foundations are. We have to have direction in our lives so that we have a foundation that we're not just putting power out, we're putting power out with a direction. And, and in our community, the idea is emotion is the Holy Spirit. Emotion is not the Holy Spirit. And I keep telling our people in our churches there, and it took a while in our Indian church to get this fact through, that emotion is a response within your own being. It's your own emotion responding to something. And this one uh, gentleman said, well, how come we don't have a lot of shouting and hollering in our church? I said, uh, you go up to the rock concert up there in Knoxville, uh, you see a very similar kind of shouting and hollering going on. And I said, is that the Holy Spirit? He said, no. I said, I think if you want to shout and it's a result of what the Lord has done for you, shout, that's fine. But let's realize that our foundation for our ministry is based on fact. Foundation for our emotional uh, direction in our lives, we have to look at reality. And the reality is that this is God's word. It's 100% true. It's accurate. We can depend on it. Uh, the statements for our condition as human beings, as sinners, lost and undone, and we're condemned unless God himself comes down and deals in our lives. And we see this reality of salvation. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. We see that reality in our own lives and we see it in our families' lives. We realize we do have an inheritance. It is reserved in heaven for us. It's undefiled. And we realize that these issues of the way we should live our lives are founded on truth. Then we can use the emotion that comes from that when we realize who God is, what he did for us, what he does for us daily, 
We have a relationship with God that we can come to him, to the throne of grace in prayer at any time, day or night, to find grace from him and help from him in our time of need. We have direction for our lives. We know how we should treat our wives. We know how we should treat our husbands. We know how we should treat our bodies as temples of the Holy Spirit. And we start walking in obedience to him because we have a sure hope. And we have this future which other people don't have. We have joy and we have a purpose for our, our uh, existence. Now at the Master's Mission, we, uh, we have in the, the daily schedule his first Bible uh, reading in the morning where everybody gets together. We share prayer requests. We go through the different books of the Bible and we start coming together as a family in those times. And that's the time we can pray for those who have special needs. We can deal with some of the problems on the mission field and, and in different places. Then we get into the Bible classes where we study the doctrines and we talk about them practically and so on. But how do we live in the technical and the everyday life? That's where we're, we go into the churches and we work with one another, go into the communities. People from all over the world come to the mission and we need to realize nobody is very different than anybody else. We have the same needs. We need a savior. We have the same Holy Spirit who indwells us. We have the same word of God, which is our standard. And I thank the Lord for the Master's College. I thank the Lord for the staff, and I, I just I admire the way Dave Maddox does the student life, and I'm on the Committee of Student Life, in dealing with problems and dealing with sin, not legalism, but dealing with it in a biblical way. And this is what needs to be modeled in our homes, on the mission field, in our community, and in our churches. Legalism is not the answer, but it's a relationship. We go into First uh, Timothy chapter 3, 15 and 16. The purpose of the church is to, the pillar and support of the truth. If we cannot support the truth, we've lost the purpose of the church. And then the next verse, 16, says, Great is the mystery of godliness. The mystery of godliness describes what Jesus Christ did and is going back to heaven. And that deals with a relationship. So the foundation for our faith is a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. So as you study here at the Master's College, Lord bless you. It's a wonderful school. And I know the Lord is using many of your graduates and even you right now while you're here for his own honor and glory. Should we stand and have a closing prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can call you Father. We want to thank you that you've transferred us from the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of your Son. Father, we thank you that you've given us this responsibility of being your representatives, your ambassadors, that we would go and be uh, in our lives a testimony to others, that people would see that Christ is indeed Lord of our life. We do obey him daily, and they'd want to know where this power comes from and we would be able to share the gospel with them. Father, we just want to pray you, the Lord of the harvest, that you would send forth laborers out into your harvest field. We realize that the Lord Jesus Christ himself saw the world with compassion, and he told his disciples, pray the Lord of the harvest. And we do pray that at this time, that you would call out those, even from this group here, to serve you in many places around the world. Father, we just pray for this college. We thank you for the leadership here. We thank you for the strong stand on the word of God. Father, we pray that you will bless the ministry here 
pray that you'll make provisions for the college financially, and you would also continue to give the leadership that it needs. Father, we just thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name we pray.